A crown of thorns placed on his head He knew that he would soon be dead He said, did you forget me, Father, did you? He hung his head and prepared to die Then lifted his face up to the sky Said, I am coming home now, Father, to you A reed which held his final slip Was gently lifted to his lips He drank his last and gave Thank you.
good morning and welcome to Catholics at Home. I am Mag. It's such a beautiful morning, a rather hot one, but you know, the weather is pretty um, stable these days. You know, it's very hot and then it rains. So be safe wherever you may be heading to throughout the day. Anyway, welcome to the show. Today's show is going to be super exciting. It's a topic that I've thought about for many years now, but never had the opportunity to ask. So if you're wondering what is the topic, I think you can see it up here. Divorce or annulment, what is the difference? But before we get to that, don't forget to like, share, and uh, say hello and comment below and tell us, uh, you know, how you are today, where you're watching from. And also, if you have a question pertaining to the topic this morning, you're more than welcome to actually drop your questions below, okay? But before we kick off the show, let's bring on the man of the show, of course, our resident priest for Catholics at Home, Father Clarence David Das. Good morning, Father. How are you today? Hi, Mac. Good morning to you, Mac. Good morning to you. How are you? I am good. And how are you, Father? Good. Uh, such a beautiful, bright day today. Uh, I know. You know. After this whole week of like rain, thunderstorm and falling trees and... Yeah, it's a, it's a bright, beautiful, and hope it remains this way in the weekend. Do not be fooled, Father. It's been <laughs> bright and beautiful every day. And then suddenly at 3 o'clock, it pours like nobody's business. So, yeah. Are you, are, you, are you one of those people? I, I remember gro growing up, you know, when you watch the news, when it comes to the weather forecast, we turn it off. We don't even watch. Are you one of those people who, who follow the weather forecast? No, I don't, but my son does. So every morning he has a chat with Google and he goes, uh, okay, Google, can you tell me what the weather is going to be like today? And then Google will tell him exactly what's going to happen. And he's like, mommy, you see, Google told you already it's going to rain. So, yeah. <laughs> Kids with technology these days. <laughs> yeah, Father, I'm right. excited for the topic this morning. Are you or are you, are you worried? <laughs> Which is it? Um, no, not worried. I think it's a topic that people would like to know about. Uh, maybe don't have an opportunity to ask or, you know, do not know where to ask. Um, right. So you end up, you know, Googling it. Uh, and, you know, the first thing that you see is Wikipedia. And not always everything you hear on Wikipedia is true or you yep. read. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity to find out because sometimes people wonder, you know, and because they wonder, then they do not know. And and the danger of not knowing is that, and do not 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 knowing where to ask, is that you make up your own mind, uh, and right. sometimes it's not it's not the right conclusion either. So this morning well, we have an opportunity. You might get the wrong information from the wrong people, though, right? <laughs> true, true, true. Yeah, <laughs> and that's you know, dangerous. And, and that causes even more problems for the church. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, yeah. so while divorce is currently the most commonly used word in our society, the Catholic Church um, actually uses the term annulment. And I remember this because Father corrected me when we were talking about domestic abuse. Remember, I asked you the question, you know, does the Catholic Church uh, tolerate domestic abuse and what happens if you're pushed to shove and you have to do a divorce? And he said, uh, in the Catholic Church, we don't do divorce, we do annulment. So it's interesting that we're featuring this topic this morning. So what is the difference between a divorce and an annulment? If you've ever wondered, well, you're right here at the right time because we're going to discover this. So with us this morning, we speak to Father William Michael from the Peninsula Malaysia Ecclesiastical Tribunal, PMET, who will shine a light on, a, uh, on the difference between these two. So good morning, Father Michael. Uh, Father morning, William, man. how are you today? Morning, Father Clarence. I'm good, thank good you. Good morning. morning. Morning, Father William. Morning, Father. How are you today? 
I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. And you? Very good. Thank you so much for spending your morning with us. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. Do you always have to talk about this topic? I'm just curious on the top of my head. I do. I do. Um, occasionally, people call up the office, the tribunal office. I've also given talks across the diocese, you know. Uh, I've also given talks in the other dioceses as well. Uh, mm -hmm. either face-to-face -face, uh, or online, especially during these days, uh, to address questions like this, you know, where people are, like what you said earlier, people are kind of confused as to whether divorce or annulment. So I'm yeah. glad and I thank uh, Father Clarence for inviting me today to shed some light to our people, our listeners especially. I hope I'll, I'll do ju some justice to our listeners. <laughs> Father, you're the main man. You you will definitely do justice for this topic. And I just hope that not after this, people are lining up and in front of his office. Yes. Yes. I just about I to say not that. To. <laughs> that that's not the that is not the intention. That is not the intention. That's not Correct. The, I'm glad that's not the intention. Yeah. We're, we're supposed to educate, not encourage. So, yeah. All right. So, before we jump into the topic this morning, let's talk about the Ecclesiastical Tribunal. What is it and what is the objective of it? Okay. The Tribunal, just to start with, uh, just to give you a brief history, very brief, uh, it was started way back in 1986 by the initiatives of the three bishops. Uh, the late Cardinal Sauter, uh, Bishop uh, Silver Nigam of Penang, and also Bishop James Chan of Malacca Joe Diocese. Why 1986, we may ask? Uh, in 1983, Pope John Paul II promulgated what we call the Code of Canon Law, the Code of Canon Law, 1983, which is still in force. So three years after the promulgation by Pope John Paul II, uh, the three bishops of the peninsula decided to establish a tribunal. But when it was first established in 1986, it was just a marriage tribunal, meaning we were just uh, hearing marriage cases. Mm. It was just marriage cases. But three years down the line, the three bishops decided that uh, we would not only accept marriage cases, but we would also accept what we call criminal or commonly known as penal cases in the church. We try to soften that, you know, the word criminal. We don't want to scare people, but we just tell them penal cases or we punish you. So those <laughs> kind of cases. So now the tribunal in Malaysia, especially in Samananjung, uh, we hear both cases, both marriage as well as penal cases. Marriage mm -hmm. cases are what we call broadly contentious cases, contentious cases, whereas uh, criminal cases is what we call penal cases. And also to answer your question, Mac, what is the objective? Father William, just before you proceed, uh, sure. we are having a little bit of audio uh, 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 problems on your side. Uh, could you help us if you use your headphones uh, for a while? Uh, sure, you're sure. probably charging your phone at the same time. I think that's the problem, maybe. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, we kind of have some crackling sound. We'll get Father William back in a short while. 
No, it's Meg, interesting not- how you said not just marriage problems, but also criminal problems <laughs> or penal problems. You, you're going to ask him whether is, is there a prison no. behind his office? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> Sorry, Father William, you were talking about um, the, the objective. Okay, the objective, uh, it's threefold. First, mm. we hear cases. We hear cases for the Peninsular Malaysian Church, meaning the three dioceses, uh, Penang, uh, Kuala Lumpur, as well as Malacca, Johor. We also act as second instance in the event of an appeal. In the event of an appeal, we hear cases for Singapore and also Kuching. And uh, finally, we also accept and hear all f- cases, formal as well as non-formal cases, for KK as well, Kuala Lumpur Tribunal. We also act for Kota Kinabalu. We also act for Sandakan. We also act for Brunei, uh, Brunei, the Vicariate of Brunei. So this is our objective, precisely, you know. Okay, so is there like a whole team behind this tribunal? I mean, is there like a judge, an advocate, a defender, you know, the whole judicial uh, team, basically? Yes. Uh, As of today, as we speak, uh, Pope Francis has not changed anything that is enshrined in the 1983 code. Mm. Uh, In the 1983 code, it's mentioned that a priest, he has to be a priest who leads the tribunal or who's in charge of the tribunal. And he's what we call a judicial vicar. A judicial vicar has to be a priest and he has to have uh, a license or a doctorate in canon law from any of the recognized Catholic university. And secondly, uh, we have got judges. Judges can be both clergy, cleric, or as well as lay, uh, provided they have a license in canon law or a doctorate in canon law. Then we have got defender of the bond, uh, someone who is against the nullity, uh, against the application, who's against the marriage bond. So his or her role would precisely be to defend the marriage bond, to defend the marriage bond, which comes about after a valid marriage which I guess we will talk shortly. And we have got also what we call auditors. Auditors uh, are people coming from the root word audire. These are people who listen to testimonies, uh, to testimonies. So they come during the fourth section of the process of the tribunal where they help us to collect proofs, to collect proofs to help the judge to have what we call to arrive at a decision to arrive at a decision, whether the proposed marriage is whether annulled or whether it's valid or invalid. And finally, we have someone called notary. Notary is like an admin staff, but also act as a uh, someone who kind of like notarizes all our documents, notarizes all our documents. But in Kuala Lumpur, uh, or in Malaysia rather, uh, due to shortage of canon lawyers or personnel, we don't have someone what we call advocates. Advocates can be either lay or clergy, uh, need not be someone with canon law degree, but someone who's an expertise 
who is an experienced person, an experienced Catholic, a good Catholic, a Catholic of integrity, who can help either the petitioner, the one who applies, or the other party, what we call respondent, to advise them legally, to advise them legally when the case is set in motion. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things you, you mentioned, uh, Father William, of course, for our listeners, uh, you mentioned this word valid and invalid. Uh, perhaps maybe we try and understand uh, what makes, what is, what is a valid marriage uh, in, the, in the Catholic Church? So that helps us later on to understand what makes it invalid either also. Okay. Uh, in the Catholic Church, by virtue of us being Catholics, uh, any Catholic, by virtue of their baptism in the Latin Church, they are, they are supposed to get married. Uh, they are supposed to ma- get married in the Catholic Church. Okay. Uh, and the other thing that is important for Catholics is they need to observe what we call canonical form. Canonical form. Form as in F-O-R-M, not as in Borang, but as in uh, aspect, as in uh, aspect. So when I speak of valid, in the Catholic Church, when we speak of a valid marriage, uh, it has to have all the three elements, yeah? The three elements, namely C-I-F, Canada, India and France. C stands for consent. The person must be able to give the consent at marriage. And second, the person must be free of any impediments. There are 12 impediments in the code. There are 12 impediments. Uh, I guess uh, following the style of the 12 apostles, I guess, I don't know. And we have got form, canonical form. Canonical form, simply put in a layman's language, would be uh, they need a presence of a priest uh, or a deacon in the Latin church, can be either a priest or a deacon. Uh, The parties to the marriage are the ministers of the marriage. So the priest or the deacon becomes the assistant, the assistant. And finally, uh, what is also important, we need two witnesses for validity, for validity. So to answer the question, a person must be able to give the consent, which is an act of the will. And secondly, the person must be free of impediments. And finally, the person must be able to observe all the form and the priest or the minister, if it's a deacon, if it's a marriage service, what we call in a layman's language, has to have what we call faculty a license to officiate at the marriage ceremony. Wow, this is really deep. We're getting to know more and more about a marriage in church, the validity and the invalidity of the marriage so Mac, as well. Did you have did you have all three or not, Meg? Yeah. I got consent in free of impediment and observe all the forms. Correct? Uh? That's <laughs> See, right. Okay, right. <laughs> I'm writing down notes, I tell you. <laughs> so we, we, we've noticed that Father said, you know, they do tribunal, uh, uh, they do marriage uh, cases as well as penal cases. And I think um, if we speak about this, it'd be a long topic to cover as well. So let's dive in right into our topic this morning, uh, divorce and annulment. You know, what 
is the difference? It's a very interesting topic and I think it's also incredibly intriguing because most of the time we want to know but we don't know who to ask. And I think um, I appreciate the fact that many of you have been texting us this morning. Thank you for telling us where you're from. If you have a question, please drop that question down in the comment section below. And of course, don't forget to like and share this broadcast as well so that more people can learn a little bit more about divorce and annulment. So Father William, can you please kick it off by telling us what is the difference between divorce and annulment? You know what? After the invitation of Father Clarence, I've been thinking about it. I said like, you know, I said like, how can I tell our listeners, you know, to... To, to, to explain to them in a very simple way what's the basic difference. Okay, let's start with divorce. Okay, let's mm. start with divorce. Divorce uh, is a civil proceeding. It's a civil proceeding. Huh? As compared to uh, annulment, which is purely a church proceeding. Huh? Annulment is a church proceeding. And in divorce, okay, the process, they go through a lawyer, they see a lawyer, then they go to court. And if it's either a joint petition or a single petition, okay, and they have got their grounds as well, then they get a divorce, you know, a decree in IC absolute. Uh, but in the tribunal, what they go through is if they want to apply for annulment, the very first thing that we would ask them is, why? Why? Why do you want to apply for an annulment? They would say that uh, my marriage doesn't work. Um, that doesn't actually warrant an annulment. Uh, that doesn't actually warrant an annulment. But coming back to what you asked, to put it simply, a divorce, there was a valid marriage. There was a valid marriage. Whereas an annulment, it had all the resemblance of marriage. It had all the resemblance of marriage. They had a beautiful wedding. They walked down the aisle. They had a very, like, they had a great party in the evening for the wedding reception. But all those who were present thought that it is a valid marriage, a beautiful ceremony. But in actual fact, there was some defect as I said, some defect in either C or I or F. Either the consent was not given by the two parties willingly. Secondly, there was some impediment that was not dispensed. And finally, the form was not observed. So it had all the resemblance of marriage, but it is not a marriage or rather it is an invalid marriage. Whereas divorce is a valid union. It's a valid marriage. But uh, annulment, uh, or rather uh, annulment, uh, what we look at is we look, we travel back to the time of consent mm. because in the Catholic Church, what makes marriage, it's not the gown, it's not the dinner, it's not the ring, it's not the priest, but it is the consent that makes marriage. Hence, when a case comes to the tribunal, we need to travel back all the way to the time of consent, be it 5, 10, 20, or 30. We travel back and we ask them, can you tell us what actually happened during the time of marriage? 
Why do you think that your marriage is invalid? I think based on what you were saying earlier, it's not very easy to get an annulment, isn't it? Because you've even pointed out that there are many parties involved in this whole process. So we'll get to that later. And I already see some very interesting questions, which we will get to uh, later on. But I want to ask, though, Father, why does the Catholic Church require annulment instead of just accepting a divorce? Okay. As I said, divorce is something that the state, uh, it is a state law, it is a state law mm. uh, in Malaysia or in any other country, uh, you need to be married civilly or canonically or rather, you know, uh, in the canonical world, we normally call a civil union. It is not a marriage, it is a civil union. So mm. for Catholics, by virtue of our own baptism, they need to come to church. Huh? Their, their, their marriage has to take place in a church, in a Catholic church. Uh, just to reiterate my point again, uh, they need a, a minister who can be either a deacon or a priest in the Latin church. And the couples, huh, the parties to the marriage, and we need to have two witnesses. Why do they need to apply for an annulment? Very simply put, because... By virtue of us Catholics, we don't recognize that civil union. We don't recognize that civil union. We, because by virtue of us being Malaysians, we need to respect the law of the land, which yeah. requires us to marry in JPM yeah. or NRD, Jabatan Pendaftaran Negara. And then they need to marry in a religious ceremony, whatever religion they may be. So therefore... It's the same practice when it comes to divorce. Whatever that they have gotten from the civil court, uh, a civil court, either a divorce or an annulment from the civil court, they need to approach the marriage tribunal if they want to marry a partner, a Catholic partner or not a Catholic partner. So it is a requirement of the church, simply put, because the church does not recognize the divorce of the state. Mm. Because the bond that the bond that arose after a valid marriage still exists even after getting a civil divorce. So they need to come to the marriage tribunal for us to either do and what we call an annulment, which is the topic for the day, or there's also another section what we call a dissolution which we will keep it for another day, I guess. <laughs> yeah, maybe just, just, just to jump in a little bit, uh, yeah, we we're talking about you know the need to get married uh, in the in the civil re registry. I guess for, for the Catholic, it's both, right? I mean, in, for the Catholic, is you need the church's uh, uh, yes. uh, uh, marriage and also the civil registration. But for non-Catholics, it is just the, the civil registration, which is also recognized by the church as a valid a marriage. A valid marriage, yeah. Because because by virtue of them not being Catholics, uh, so they are not bound by the law to, to be married in church. Uh, so there's also always, sometimes people seem to think that, you know, because you are not married in church, that is not a valid marriage uh, in yeah. situations where they want to have another marriage in church with a Catholic. So there's always the confusion that, you know, people think that a marriage between two non-baptized in a civil uh, union is not recognized by the church. Uh, because because they are not obligated to marry in the church, that is a recognized marriage, which also needs to go through a process 
just to clarify, help clarify. Otherwise, you know, this, we always, I'm sure, Father William, you also have this people coming to ask. You know, in the parish, we always seem to think, oh, I, I didn't get married in church, what? So mm. why can't I now marry in church? Uh, so that's the thing. But just coming back to what you were saying, that the three, the three things, uh, you know, about consent, freedom, and form. Now, from your experience uh, in the tribunal, you know, what are some of the things that you know you you have seen that that has kind of like been an obstacle for somebody giving full consent, you know, and then looking back, or even, you know, in terms of you have discovered there wasn't full freedom uh, to enter into marriage. What would be some of the circumstances that you may have come across from your years of experience? Uh, the common ones would be uh, three. Huh? There are three aspects that I see, or rather three situations when they find out that the girl is pregnant. You know, when she's pregnant, so she enters into marriage uh, because she's pregnant. Uh, because she's pregnant. Uh, for her and for her male partner or would-be partner, uh, for them, okay, as good Catholics, we, you know, our parents have taught us that we need to uphold the church's teaching. So therefore, we need to just enter into marriage. That's the best. Uh, that's the best thing to do. Uh, that's solution, the best thing yeah. to do. Uh, the best solution. But whether do they really love each other? Whether uh, whether do they both intend marriage? That is the thing, you know, because we really need to find out whether both the parties to this proposed marriage, which is happening because of pregnancy. Uh, whether they, do they really intend marriage, whether do they really want marriage, whether it is an act of the will, as the law would say, you know, whether it's something that I really want, okay, for the rest of my life with this person, uh, with this person. Second would be uh, parental interference, yeah, parental interference. Uh, you see, we, we live in a society where Although we, we are in the 21st century, eh? but nevertheless, we get a lot of parents still interfering and influencing their children, especially their daughters, when they are in their late 20s or early 20s, saying that, you know what, I think it's about time that you get married. Yeah. But not asking them whether they are really ready for a union, a marriage, you know, or whether they just want to take some time to think about marriage. So that is something, uh, so it's like peer pressure. I would name it peer pressure or slash parental interference as well. It, it kind of like comes together, you see, it comes together. Yeah. And the third point would be uh, they get married because they have just fallen in love. Love at first sight. Huh? Just because I like you and I've like, you know, uh, I, I just can't live without you. So the best next thing to do is to enter into marriage. But three months after marriage or down the line, they realize that, you know what, Father? I don't think I love this person any longer. You know, uh, because it's, it, it's, 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 it's totally a different ball game. You yeah. see, marriage is when you live under the same roof. Then you come to know, ah, this is what his true self is, huh? Well, I, I, I didn't know that you smoke. You know, I didn't know that you can get, you know, drunk. I didn't know that you don't go to work, that you're glued to the computer, you're playing games and whatnot. 
So things like this tend to come up. And the best thing to do is, since they rushed into marriage, they would also rush out of marriage. And the best thing to do is divorce. It's like changing a baju, no? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just coming back to, you know, some of the, the, the key points that, uh, you, that you have been talking about, uh, I think, you know, there cannot be any form of coercion to get into no. marriage. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's sometimes very difficult in an Asian context uh, to stay away from, isn't it? I mean, Absolutely. in terms of family involvement, uh, societal pressure uh, to get married. You know, sometimes you come to a certain age, people say, oh, no, you know, when are you getting married? Biological you getting clock. Married? You know, <laughs> yeah. that's right. You know, uh, uh, you know I mean, just to lighten the mood a little bit, I know I remember somebody telling me, or I remember reading the story, I think, I think it's reading the story, you know, there was this this girl or lady, you know, whose aunt kept asking her, you know, oh, so when's your turn? When's your turn? Every time they met, you know, kept asking, and then one day she got fed up, and this old aunt, you know, and then they met at a funeral, she turned to the aunt and said, when is your turn? She said, instead of, you know, and after that question, yes, stopped, the question stopped, after that, the question stopped apparently anyway. You know, so I think this is the Asian context. I think, I think marriage is a, is a serious decision, you know, to all our listeners out there, you know, if you want to get into marriage, you know, yeah, it is something, it's a life-changing moment. It's a big step that you take. Uh, and I think what Father William is saying that you, what, you, may, you must want it uh, you must yeah. want to enter into marriage out of free will, uh, that free will. no one is coercing you, no one is forcing you, no one is holding a gun to your head and said, you must get married. Uh, that, that I think is very important. Um, talking about, about these things, uh, Father William, yeah, sometimes, you know, you know, I mean, you've seen cases that come, you know, much later, 15, 20, 30 years later. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to establish these things. Uh, you know, because the witnesses may not be there anymore, family members <laughs> may not be there anymore. Um, right. You know, and sometimes on hindsight, you can see many things that you did not see. Uh, you know, even though you did not intend at that time, you didn't see it, or maybe you knew about it, but you know, it didn't bother you at that time. Uh, but living under the same roof after ten years, it now bothers you. You know, so in, in such situations, you know, you know, how do how do we? I, I'm not just talking about, for example. No, just this is the only solution in the church, you know, that, that mm. annulment is only. Sometimes I think pastorally, we also try to help them. So like in the tribunal, when people come, uh, is your first response is some level of counseling or some level of assistance that is offered to them uh, to say, you know, like you said, you know, do you really want this? You know, uh, yeah. what, what processes uh, do, do they go through uh, before finally making that application? Is there something that we help them with? Oh, yes, Father. Uh, you see, like, I'm not a trained counsellor, but what I normally do is, like, uh, I always get them connected to counsellors, counsellors, uh, either clergy or priests, and I always advise them if their marriage is on the verge of breaking up or if they're going through a rough patch, I always tell them, think over, think over. Huh? I tell them, the thing is, once you have applied, you can still withdraw your application. But once annulment has been granted, I said, like, you know, uh, it'd be too late already. Lah. So I said, mm. always try to think over, pray about it, and try to get some advice. Try to get some advice. And I said, I'm sure counseling would help or seek professional help if you really need help. 
or some expertise, no? Like if you really need to see a psychologist, you know, or if you need to see a psychiatrist, if need be, if need be, go and seek professional help so that, that your marriage will work. Uh, your marriage will work. Because the moment they come to the tribunal, they expect us to give us their, the form. Huh? Mm -hmm. But the form is also available online, though, on the Archdiocesan website. But we, I always advise priests, I always advise priests, uh, nullity uh, or annulment is not the solution for a difficult marriage. Or rather, that's not the only answer for a difficult marriage. Let's, let's help our couples. Uh, let's help our couples. I always talk to them. I always meet them. If they're not comfortable to meet me in their office, because people tend to have this taboo, you know? The moment they walk into the tribunal, they think, uh-uh, okay, I'm already applying for my annulment already. So I always mm -hmm. tell them, if you're not comfortable to see me in my office, you can also see me in my parish or elsewhere. Or I can come over to your place and let's talk about things. Let's talk about things, you know. I'm sure we can iron out issues so that you don't have to apply, you know. And, you know, I always, I always find there's so much of joy, especially when couples who withdraw their application. Much as I always tell couples, you know, I said, yeah, after a talk, uh, an almond talk like this, I always tell them, don't call me. And I don't want to leave you with my cell phone number. Because when you call me, then I know it's not good news. Huh? Huh? Uh, so I said, I, I'm not walking with the form. Huh? I don't carry the form everywhere I go. I don't have it in my, uh, in my car. But I, I always want to tell you, try to work things out. Talk things out so that, and if you need, you know, if, if need be, as I said, seek professional help. So I'm guessing from what you've said, <laughs> annulment should be the last resort. You know, try oh, and yeah. settle it as much as you can and work on it um, before you actually take that step to seek annulment, I see. Okay. All right. So our, our comment section is blowing up and we've got tons of questions, but we'll go very easy on you, Father William, first. So let's take our first question coming from Florence Claire Joseph. She is asking if a divorced Catholic can remarry in a Catholic church if he or she meets another soulmate. Sure, you can, provided, provided you need to apply to the marriage tribunal. If your first marriage if your first marriage took place in a Catholic church, then as I mentioned earlier, there is a valid marriage bond, a yes. valid marriage bond that exists, despite of you getting a civil divorce. So you'd, you need to apply for an annulment. Uh, very simple, you can see your parish priest, meet your parish priest to get the application form, or you can also call the tribunal. We work from Monday to Friday, 8.30 to 5.00. The form is also available online on the Archdiocese website. Okay. So, that now, was now, so now that you're on this, uh, let's let's go in. What is the process and how long yeah. does it take? Yeah, maybe okay, that's the, the thing that people want to know very often. Sure. The process is, uh, I always advise them to see their parish priest. You can also walk into the office. Uh, you can also walk into the office. But I always tell them, uh, why? Because I prefer them to see their parish priest so that the parish priest can journey with them. It is also a pastoral journey. Huh? It's also a pastoral work of all our priests to meet the couples. Because we meet couples and we prepare them for marriage. And yeah. now they, the marriage doesn't work and the marriage is breaking up. Or it's on the verge of like coming to an end. So perhaps I'm sure we can also help them. You know, We can also avail ourselves to assist them during this difficult time of their phase or their life. 
Secondly, when they get the application form, they need to write, uh, they need to apply after duly filling in the form, they need to write in two pages, yeah, in two pages. I hope our listeners are listening. Sometimes I get a whole thesis, you know, I get a whole thesis. <laughs> they think like <laughs> they're presenting a thesis or defending a thesis to the tribunal. So after, so after, <laughs> after 20 years, I got plenty to say, Father William, I'm sure. Yes, yes true, Father. <laughs> so I said, keep it to max three pages. Like, keep it to max three pages. Preferably, uh, if you are writing them, it's legible. Uh, legible, I need to read them. And otherwise, you can also type them and send them with all the relevant documents that uh, is in the application form. It's all stated there. We have also got a note, uh, a note attached to the form. And that is for you for your own guidance yeah, as to uh, how you fill up the form. And uh, when you have duly fill in the form, then you just send it to us. You can either post it to us, you can mail it to us, or you can also email it to us. And then the moment we receive the application form, we will acknowledge the form. We will write to you officially. Mm -hmm. We won't call you, but we will write to you. So we need your mailing address. We will write to you and we will explain to you in that letter the whole process of the application and how much it costs. Uh, the Malaysian bishops uh, have this. Uh, we have lost Father William for a while. When it, when it came to the cost, suddenly you got cut off. <laughs> so there is a cost, okay? We yeah. will wait for Father William to come back with the cost. Yeah. But it's a very so that, interesting topic though, Father. I mean, now we know. But I'm just curious though, Father, Um, since Father William's not here, does it mean that if you are a Catholic, you have to get both and a divorce and annulment? Yeah, yeah. If you want, you want to remarry, if, yes. If you want to remarry. Oh, okay. Okay, Father William, you we were, were talking, talking about, about the cost. cost. The, the bishop <laughs> yes, the cost. Yes. Uh, so then it got cut off. <laughs> so the cost is 1,000 ringgit, RM1,000. But uh, I can tell this, you know, uh, if, if couples who are applying, uh, if they are unable to pay, we are always very considerate. So I always ask them to write to the tribunal. Then we will always consider, you know, to give them a discount or a concession. And that is always possible. But remember, those listeners out there, if you can't pay 1,000 ringgit, we will still do your case. We will, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just to assure you, uh, just to assure you. But for those of you who have got enough money, I'm sure you can share the 1,000 ringgit with us. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's important to make clear that no, the money is, is not so much for, it's not, it's not for the Williams pay. So, uh, I mean, there are there are lay administrative staff in the office that needs to be taken care of. Also, I mean, it's not a big amount, but it also contributes to the running of the office uh, and other expenses that are there. I'm sure, uh, Father William. I mean, it's it's not that they put a charge that is uh, exorbitant in that sense. No. But just coming back, just coming back to the uh, so, I, I mean, I am aware also that you know when they put in the application, uh, that people are aware that not only they will be contacted. But in the course of the whole uh, process, that there will be witnesses who may be also be called uh, to to listen. Uh, possibly also the 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 ex spouse may be contacted uh, to hear the other side of the story also, because they're always two sides of a coin. You know, Correct. it's not just because you know uh, if I say so and it's the, the gospel truth, because there may be another view also. Uh, so I think that also. So, but sometimes it's very difficult. I understand for the tribunal, especially when. Uh, 
uh, divorce ends uh, not very amicably and they don't want to contact each other. Mm. Uh, so on, on an average, uh, Father William, this is the, the million dollar question that everybody wants to ask. You know, how long does it take? You know, yes. on an average, I'm sure you, because there are so many variables in, in when you when you put in a, a, an application. But on an average, uh, what would that be? One year for first instance. So you see, like if you apply, uh, the maximum that I always tell people is a year. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, so they just need to wait for a year. They just need to be patient. Although we will call them and we will hear them out, like what Father said, we will uh, interview them. Uh, that's where the collection of proofs takes place. Uh, collection mm -hmm. of proofs takes place. Just to go, uh, just to go back to what Father Clarence asked earlier before I got cut off. So the process, the process. There are four. There are four uh, levels to the process. The first one is the introduction of the case or introductory of the case where we receive the application. We receive the application from the parishes or via email or via walk-ins. Yeah? So the moment we receive the application, we will look at the application. We will study the application. Firstly, we will study whether there is a case, whether there is a case before we could accept the application. Yeah. So if there's no case, they, they are not able to give us or name witnesses, it'd be difficult to arrive at judgment. Uh, it'd be difficult to arrive at judgment. And we normally, we normally insist that can you please put down the name of the respondent, the other party, mm -hmm. uh, like what Father mentioned earlier, because it always takes two to tango. Uh, and sometimes it'd be very, very, very difficult when there's only one party. And it can, we tend to be biased. We tend to be biased because we have just listened to one party. And mm. people can also appeal. People can also appeal, meaning the petitioner can also appeal if the decision is something that is not favorable to him or her, if it's what we call a negative decision. Yeah. So the introductory of the case has got two sections. First is we receive the application, we'll study the application, and then we accept the application. The moment we accept the application, on the basis of there are grounds or ground to which the marriage or rather the proposed marriage or rather the proposed union can be adjudicated or can be studied, okay? So then we write to the parties concerned. We write to the petitioner informing him or her that we have accepted your application, okay? Then we give them a protocol number. We give them a protocol number and we tell them the case begins, yeah? the case begins. They will ask, okay, when is my case is going to begin? Okay, your case begins the moment we call you for interview. So the very first interview would be of the petitioner, the one who applies, the one who petitions would be his or her interview. So then we move on to the second phase of the case, which is collection of proofs, yeah? Collection of proofs. There are various ways in which we can collect proofs and the common ways would be, or the normal way uh, would be to hear them out. Mm. We call in the petitioner to come in. We call in the petitioner to come in. And we also call in the witnesses to come in and we hear them out. And who are these people, witnesses? Witnesses are people who have known the party's concern, preferably, preferably either before, during and after the marriage. They can be anybody, need not be Catholics, okay? Need not be Catholics, can be anybody, including Muslims as well. As long as they can speak, they can come and tell us. But they must know, they must know somewhat you know somewhat of what happened or transpired 
uh, in the marriage of this proposed uh, applicant. And we also get, like what Father mentioned earlier, we also, what we call, we cite the respondent. Yeah? We write to the respondent, who's the other party to the marriage, and we always insist, can you please put down uh, any form of contact, either their mailing address, their email, or their cell phone number, or their Facebook ID and whatnot, just to tell us so that we will do the contact, especially when the marriage did not end on a good note or amicably. So it's mm. difficult. It's very, very difficult to get the respondent to come forward. And I always insist, I want to hear the respondent so that I can be fair. I yeah. can be fair, especially when it comes to writing the judgment. Then we move on to the yeah. third phase, which is judgment writing. Judgment writing, yeah? But before judgment writing, after we have finished the case, we come to the conclusion of the case. After all the proofs have been collected, we compile them, we collate them together, and we pass it to what we call the defender. The defender. So the defender, just to repeat myself, I said this in the introduction, is a person, uh, uh, preferably trained in canon law, preferably a license or a doctorate, but we have got somebody in our tribunal who has got a diploma, trained in Australia many years ago. So she helps us with our defender's brief. Mm. Father was also one of our defenders in the past before. So they need to defend the bond. They need to defend the bond. What bond we are speaking of? We are speaking of the marriage bond, the previous marriage bond. Okay, the marriage took place between A and B. Now A and B are divorced. And now A wants to marry C, whom he met, and she's so beautiful according to A. So now A wants to marry C. So A is the applicant. And we would study the marriage between A and B to discover, to discover the truth. What is the role of the tribunal? We are not here to tell or to determine who is at fault, whether it was A or B who was at fault, or we don't play the blaming game as some couples do during interviews. We don't play the blaming game. But the role of the tribunal is just to investigate the truth. What really happened for the marriage to be invalid? And what are the grounds for invalidity? Can be either C, I, or F. Consent, impediments, or form. And finally, we come to the conclusion stage, which is the last stage, the writing of judgment. And the execution of the sentence. We need so we to are, notify. Yeah. Sorry, Father. So, so Go we, ahead. Sorry. So, so we are saying that just to very quickly recap. So from the moment of the first interview, on an average, is about a year. Not from the moment they put in the application. No, Father. From the moment yeah. of the uh, their interview. Yeah. Interview. Yeah. So that it's clear to our <laughs> listeners too that you know because sometimes there are many cases and everybody is rushing and wanting to you know their file to come before the others. Uh, for various reasons. But very quickly, Father William, there, there are instances where you do not know where your ex-spouse is. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Correct. Yeah, you know, uh, can we can people still proceed with the application? Sure, sure. Okay. You see, uh, they can still proceed just to answer Father's question. But we normally tell them to get the respondent to come forward. But there are also instances just to register here, there are also instances where the respondent is not contactable. Yeah. Okay, it's not contactable. There are also instances when the marriage, uh, when it did not end on a good note, 
and the other party by us contacting the respondent or the party getting involved would do more damage to this person if she or he is already married to this current marriage or to the person individually. Then when I listen to the petitioner, I always tell them, I'll put a note in the file saying that we don't get in touch with the respondent. Okay. Mm. Yeah. There are also situations like that. Sometimes, you know, they don't want to be contacted or they are yeah. uncontactable, uh, you know, because... Not traceable. <laughs> not traceable. Yeah, many, many difficulties. Yeah, so, so people who are listening who are out there, I think there's a question also in relation to that. If they are not contactable, can they still apply? But I think an important point, uh, Father William, also you mentioned that, you know, uh, it is always trying to prove that on the day of marriage, there wasn't a valid marriage in terms of annulment, isn't it? I mean, that's that's the that's the point that we want to make. Uh, not that something that you discover after having a valid marriage and you discover, say, 10 years down the line, this is not the person that I, you know, I, I think and the person I has changed. <laughs> you know, uh, it, is not, it is not a reason for annulment. I think we have to be very clear because you, you discover people change over the years. You know, people change over the years. Uh, and, and sometimes it's not after having established a, a valid marriage on that day. Uh, like Father said, it's not just a resemblance of a marriage. Uh, it was a valid marriage. Uh, all the conditions were fulfilled. But the person changed during the course of, of marriage for whatever reasons. Uh, that may not necessarily be a reason for annulment. It may be a cause for divorce, but it may not be a, a, a cause for annulment. So I think people also have to understand that it is at the point of marriage that you need to prove that. And sometimes it can be very challenging uh, to prove that uh, uh, in terms of on the day of marriage, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So don't go scratch your head now, Meg, and trying to figure out what happened on that day. Pull out the videos, pull out the videos. Everything. Now, what can I find uh, with Steve now? No, Steve, Steve is a nice man, so I, I'm just kidding anyway. Uh, yeah. So. But, um, I saw this question earlier. Now, based on uncontactable uh, ex-spouse, right? What if your ex had converted to a different religion? In that case, how do you go about you know, going for an annulment? They can still apply. Okay. I've interviewed Muslims, you know, we have interviewed people who are Catholics before, Hindus, you know. But they have, still have to, to do an annulment, although you're... Other... Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, you see, the thing is, if one party is a Catholic and the other yeah. party became a Muslim, if the Catholic party intends to mar marry again, okay, so then the Catholic party has to apply. Okay. Okay. Annulment still have to is... Learn. Okay. Yeah, the Catholic party. If the Muslim party, because the Muslim party is already a Muslim, so mm. he or she is not bound by church law. Annulment okay. is strictly a church For procedure. Catholics. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. All right. So moving on to another question about Catholics and non-Catholics. It comes from Adeline Pun. She says, good morning, Father. For a non-Catholic to marry a Catholic in church, is the annulment process exactly the same as a Catholic couple? Is it perceived as intrusion of privacy as it is already submitted to the civil court for a grant of divorce? Um, can you elaborate why a non-Catholic must go through the same annulment process as well? Okay, very simply put, uh, you see, the church has got what we call this uh, power that the church exercises. Yeah, The church exercises certain power, uh, be it legislative, executive, or judicial. 
So when it comes to non-Catholics, people ask, how come the church has got the power to, yep. to investigate my marriage? So this is what we call vicarious power, meaning uh, the church has got this responsibility to make sure, because the non-Catholic party was married to a Catholic. The non-Catholic party was married to a Catholic. So hence, we need to investigate the union. We need to investigate the union, especially if the non-Catholic party was the either the petitioner or uh, the respondent, sorry, was the respondent. And if the petitioner is a Catholic, we need to also hear the other side of the story of the respondent, whether he's yeah. Catholic or not, just to be fair to the petitioner also, and also to be fair to the respondent. I, okay. I'm not too sure if uh, that is exactly what the question was dealing with. I mean, let me just give another twist to that, that question, uh, Father William. Mm. Uh, for example, two non-Catholics, you mm. know, uh, who are married, because uh, they are not required to marry in the church. Now they are divorced and that non-Catholic now wants to marry a Catholic. Mm -hmm. right? You know, is that person also subject to a process in the tribunal? Oh, yes, yes. Because very uh, simply yeah. put, sorry, go ahead, Father. Yeah, I think I think that was the, I think that's how I read that question earlier. Correct, okay. yeah. Okay, okay. So very simply put, because as we said earlier, the marriages of two Muslims, the marriages of two Buddhists, two Sikhs, two Hindus is a valid marriage in the eyes of the church. So therefore, when there's a valid marriage, therefore there's a natural bond that exists. So when two non-Catholics, uh, two non-Catholics got married and now they are divorced, now either party wants to marry a Catholic when they come to the church or they meet the priest, the parish priest would say or ask them, have you been married before? Then the party would say, yes, I was married before. I was married to a non-Catholic and I'm also a non-Catholic. Then we need to, because as I said, the church doesn't recognize the civil union. Okay, mm. so we need to, we need to examine that marriage. We need to examine. Of course, there are different ways as to how we can dissolve or annul that union. There are different conditions. Yeah, We can either dissolve that union or we can either annul that union. There are two ways in which where we can look at the previous union of these two unbaptized parties. I hope I've answered the question. Yeah, I think I think that's that that was what the uh, the intention of the question was uh, because the question is why how has the church got that power over two non-baptized yeah. uh, to declare that marriage uh, as 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 valid or invalid? Uh, yeah, I think that's. I mean, there there are other ways also. I mean, we will not talk about today. I mean, there's yeah. also yeah. other privileges in the church. Uh, that they can, but I think the important thing is I, I think what I want to stress this morning is if there are people out there who, who are civilly divorced already and and you know who are thinking of of getting married, you know, get in touch with your with your local church, you know, and find out. I mean, I always say that the church always has a healing remedy for everyone. You know, the church is 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 not punitive, though we have penal laws in the church. It's, it's always rehabilitative in many ways, isn't it, Father William? I mean, we oh, cannot yes, punish people. Uh, and then people listen to somebody else and say, oh, you cannot do this, you cannot do that. And then, you know, they get very slighted about the church. And I think Pope Francis has made the process a little easier. I don't say a lot easier, but he has kind of, you know, shortened and or, or smoothened the process to help people in, in such difficult situations. And I, and I hope that, you know, our conversation this morning kind of 
imprints in the minds of people that, you know, uh, I mean, look, don't line up with Father William's office. I mean, <laughs> uh, but I'm saying that you know, get in touch with your with your parish priest, with your church, or get in touch with the priest who will be able to advise you on on what you need to do. And I think that's that's, and and the, the other point I wanted to also mention. I think marriage is something very sacred in the church. Some people ask, why so long? Why can't you give it to me in three months? Uh, you know, why can't you give it to me in one month? Isn't it, Father William? I'm sure you have had that kind of people standing at your doorstep and demanding, you know, as we get it in the parishes. But I think marriage is something very sacred uh, that, you know, of course, you know, annulment is not the solution to everything. Yet still, even in that process, there's a defender of the bond who tries his very best or her best to keep <laughs> that marriage, you know, because it's sacred. Right. It's something sacred, you know, what God has joined, men must not divide. Uh, you know? so, so I think people also have to understand that, that it takes time uh, to help sort this out, you know, uh, and different avenues have, have been tried, uh, you know, for, for if there is reconciliation. So I, I always tell couples, I mean, this is pastorally, I think, you know, there are people out there who are already civilly divorced. Father William, I don't know whether you agree with me, if you're already civilly mm. divorced. Even though you're not thinking of remarrying at this time, it might be good to put in an application uh, because, you know, a lot of times what happens sometimes is that when they are going, they are already planned the marriage, and then the priest discovers that hey, there's a previous marriage, and then it's going to take time. That's when you know everything gets very complicated, and disappointment with the church, and you know anger towards the tribunal. Everything comes out, you know. So sometimes you know if you are civilly divorced, and you know even though you're not thinking about it, um, it might be, you know, something that you want to consider, you know, uh, for yourself. To free you, or if you think there is a cause for annulment, to free you. I don't know, Father William. What do you, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> Just to help <laughs> that sense. You know, sometimes it's difficult. I know. Yeah. I think yeah, but the thing is, I always ask them. You know, as I said earlier, I always ask people when they see me. I ask them like, why do you want to annul your marriage if you are not thinking of a new union or a new marriage? They always say, you know, I want peace of mind. Then I said, okay, you put in your application. But I said, do you fire, like, are you seeing somebody or do you have somebody in mind? I said, no, 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 I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I just want this peace of mind. You know, I feel like I'm still connected to him or to her. So I, I, I want to cut that relationship off. Father. I said, okay. But I just like to go back to what father said. You see, like there are a lot of listeners out there and a lot of people out there. They always think when Pope Francis introduced that process, which is called the brief process, Brief as in B-R-I-E-F. Uh, the word tells you everything. But the thing is, it's not as brief as you might think. Uh, although the word tells you brief, uh, there are three processes. I don't want to go into technical stuff here. There are three processes. One is what we call the formal process, which is the longer process, which takes a year or slightly more than a year, depending on the volume and also depending whether the case can also be a difficult case for us. Yeah. Sometimes we don't get witnesses. Sometimes we don't get witnesses to show up. Yeah? Sometimes we don't mm. get the respondent to come in as well or to respond to us promptly as well. And secondly, there's another process called the documentary process. By looking at a particular document, we can also annul the marriage. Yeah? We can also annul the marriage, not to go into details here. And finally, this is the other process that Father was mentioning. It's called the brief process, which was introduced way back in 2015. This is to coincide with the year of mercy. So Pope Francis 
introduce this process. But there are two conditions for those listeners out there. There are two very important conditions and they are mandatory, just mind you. Eh? The very first condition is every time when a marriage ends, yeah, then we apply for a divorce, either party, uh, either party, then either party, either party or both parties would be would favor annulment, okay? If they are both remarried or thinking of a new marriage. But for the brief process, the very first condition that Pope Francis has established, both parties has to apply. So the petition or the letter that you send him to the tribunal, both the signatures of the parties concerned, both the petition and the respondent signature has to be there. Failing which, we would not do that as a brief process. And secondly, there must be a recurring, a recurring ground or theme that led to the final separation and divorce. Mm -hmm. Only then it can be a brief process. If these two conditions are not met, they go back to the ordinary process or the documentary process, depending on whichever process it comes in. I hope I've just made this clear. I just want to like, you know, tell the listeners out there. Because otherwise they'll say, oh, you know, it was said faster. No, no, no. Nothing is fast. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think I've noticed that a lot of comments say that, you know, the annulment process takes a long time. Um, and I'm just curious though, Father, has there been, um, you know, any occasion where the couple that has been granted an annulment chooses to remarry? Can they remarry? In most cases, they do. In most they cases, do. they do. They do. Wow. No, I Hence mean, the application. Okay, okay. But can they remarry each other? That would be weird though. Like 20 years down the line, they, they realize they made a mistake and they've gotten acquainted. You have to go through the whole process again. Again, right? Okay. The marriage okay. prep and everything else, you know. Uh. So how many times can a person get annulled? Oh, there's nothing stated anywhere. As, as many times as they can, I guess. <laughs> Although but, at the back but, of your mind, it's like, please don't, please don't do it many times. No, but I, I think, the, I think the, 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 the thing is also that if it happens, you know, it occurs regularly, then perhaps that person is not prepared for marriage. Mm. You know, and I think that's something that the church is very cautious about. You know, if you are yeah. in the second time, and if you're coming back the third time and the fourth time and saying that the marriage was invalid, and all those times, then there's something you know that needs to be addressed in the person who is wanting to contract marriage. Uh, so I think it's, it's not so easy. I mean, hypothetically, yeah, hypothetically, there's no number, I guess. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But okay. there's such a thing called uh, just to also to follow up with uh, from what Father said. Uh, there's an injunction as a judge that we can also put in the judgment. Uh, I uh, there's no numbers stated. By I, I've done this for those who have applied more than twice. I put an injunction in the third judgment and that uh, this person is not ready for a new union. So he or she cannot apply for marriage unless the bishop uplifts that injunction. So the judge uh, of the tribunal is what we call in Latin vetitu, a vetitu meaning an injunction. So they cannot contract a new marriage. I, I normally put a time phase. I tell them maybe for a year, Think about this, you know, whether you are really ready, you know, mentally, huh? Huh? and also whether this is what you really want in life after two failed marriages. Not judging anybody here, but this is something that a good practice that we do in the tribunal. 
But I came across this very interesting question on the comment section. It comes from Eric and he says, if a couple is going for annulment and they have children, the custody has been done with the civil court or both? Will it be done both or just the civil court alone? Just the civil court. The okay. Just the civil court alone. Okay. All right. And the children are legitimate. This is also one of the other questions that we get quite a bit, whether the children are legitimate, illegitimate, mm. sorry, you know, so no, the children are legitimate. Uh, there was a marriage. We don't deny the fact that there was courtship. There was yeah. marriage. Everything took place, but there was some defect either because of C, I or F. Hence, the annulment took place. Okay. I know we, we mentioned this earlier. You said that if like two Muslims were married, then it's recognized, or two Buddhists were married, it's recognized. But there's a question asking, what about Kawin Adat, mostly done in East Malaysians, where both the couple are not Catholics, you know, but they've gotten married based on their own cultures and beliefs. So does the Catholic Church recognize that as well? Oh, yes. These are what we call customary marriages in Sabah, mm. the whole yeah. state of Sabah. There's such a thing called Makama Anak Negri. So if they marry in Makama Anak Negri, it is recognized uh, as equivalent to JPN. JPN. Yeah. And in Sarawak, they can marry with the Pengulu in the longhouses. And that is also recognized by the JPN because they have got a certificate that is presented to us. So we recognize that as a valid marriage. Okay, very nice. Provided, provided it's recognized by JPN or NRD. Mm. Okay. All right. Okay. Looking at, wow. Um, I, I want to thank you so much for all the questions. Look at the questions. There is a proposal that we do this uh, another time as well. We, we, you know, we speak about this topic again, just to continue with all the questions, but let's go through as many questions as we have. We can. Vincent Raj says, Father, do you have statistics on the number of Catholic divorces or annulments in the Kale Archdiocese? Uh, statistics, no, but last year we closed 70 cases, 70 cases for last year. The year before we closed 80 cases for this past two years because we just submitted our statistics to Rome, so I remembered. Yeah. Okay, so in cases where it takes longer than one year, Father, what is normally the reason for it being prolonged? It's either on our side where we have got, you know, cases piled up, so because we normally follow the order in which it came in, mm. we don't jump queue, you know, we don't expedite <laughs> any case. Uh -huh. uh, but the thing is, you see, the, uh, we do make exceptions. I, I do make exceptions as, uh, as the person in charge, but I always get the permission from the Archbishop. I always tell exceptions like when the person, when the couples or the parties concerned are old or if they are suffering from some kind of terminal illness, or sickness, you know, when when death is imminent. So I always make exceptions when someone is bedridden and they have applied for annulment also. We do make exceptions in those scenarios. But on our side, especially when we have got cases, you know, uh, uh, piled up, when we have got cases, we, we, we normally, as I said, you know, we normally follow the order in which we came in. So we don't jump queue. So that can take time. That can take time. Because I'm the only judge and I've got Father Jester's. Uh, father is also based outstation. So father helps me with uh, writing of the judgments. I also seek help sometimes from judges outside the country. And uh, from the other parties, uh, from the applicants, sometimes when they don't cooperate with us, yeah, when we write to them, 
we don't get a response from them. They don't respond to our emails, to our phone calls. When we don't get the witnesses to come in and do their interviews, sometimes when we don't get credible witnesses, yeah, credible witnesses, they name character witnesses. They just know the person and they know the character of the person concerned. So that wouldn't help us to come to a conclusion. So that would also prolong the case. Okay. So what does this witness have to know or how important is this witness role in an annulment? The witness is basically someone who knows the applicants, either the petitioner or the respondent, preferably, preferably before the marriage, uh, who has also journeyed through the marriage process and also uh, know a bit, you know, very, very basic about what transpired and what led to the final uh, the separation and divorce. You see, uh, not in detail though, not in detail. That'll be very difficult. That'll be very difficult. But know somewhat of what happened to the marriage from the time they So do they have to be unbiased or they have to be like, oh, this person is going to support this person because I am going to, you know, get the annulment. I'm trying to get Obviously, the Obviously, they have to be unbiased. Lah. Unbiased, okay. <laughs> So someone who is a close friend to the couple, probably. We do get biased interviews, but, you know, <laughs> you know, we get it's people coming in. It's isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Human as we are, we tend to get people coming and saying, you know, no, no, my sister-in-law, the respondent was, no, she's at fault, she's at fault, she's at fault. My brother is an angel, you know. He never did anything. He's such an angel. So we get people like that. We record their testimonies, but we decide later. <laughs> but that, but we, I mean, having said that, you also get witnesses for both the, the respondent oh, too. I mean, oh, yes, not just, one, sure, not, sure. Just, not just on one sure. side. So, sure. so for, you know, for every biased uh, testimony there's another there's another on the other side there's another another witness too so it's it kind of balances off yeah just as much as you speak to both uh, the petitioner and the one who yes. applies and the one who is responding to it also i think that's important to if, yeah yeah if and when the respondent shows up uh, if and when the respondent shows up we always ask them would you like to name any witnesses okay uh, in most cases they would say no we are just happy with this then that's it. Then we proceed with the case. But if we don't get credible witnesses for those listeners out there, if we don't get credible witnesses, I will never proceed with the case. I will always write to the petitioner and state, you know what? These are the witnesses that are not credible. Can you please name new witnesses? It'll be difficult for us, yeah? Okay, okay. So... There's a question here coming from Audrey. She says, does, uh, does it mean that if the respondent refuses to respond after being contacted repeatedly, the annulment cannot proceed? No, the annulment can proceed. There's a provision in the court, in the law where, you see, there's no practice or standard practice in the court. But what I have done is, for those listeners out there also, I normally write three times to the respondent. I cite three times, yeah? So I write to them three times if we have got their mailing address or we email them or we call them. But everything is recorded. Everything is recorded. Why in the event if the respondent comes back to us just before we close the case or even after judgment has been granted, which has happened in the past though, they'll tell us, you know what, we want to write to the Vatican, we want to write to the Pope, I was not hurt. But then we tell them, you know what, we wrote to you, but we didn't get a response from you. Okay, so we normally... We always write to them, not normally. Uh, hey, uh, we always write to the respondent. 
So the role of the respondent is so, 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 so important. But if we cannot get the respondent, if the respondent is uncontactable or untraceable, there is a decree that we issue in the case saying that after multiple times contacting or trying to contact the respondent, therefore the respondent cannot be contacted. And therefore we are now coming to the conclusion of the case. There is a document in the judgment. Okay. All right. And this how is also long... to protect ourselves, lah. Of course, of course. How long after the annulment is granted can you remarry? Oh, that depends if there's no contention. We normally, you know, when we notify the petitioner and the respondent, and the respondent, we tell them, okay, the judgment has been granted. It is an affirmative, which is the language of the tribunal. Then we tell them you have got two weeks, two weeks to apply to the tribunal if you're not happy with the decision, especially to the petitioner. If it's a negative decision, meaning to say the annulment was not proven, uh, the annulment was not proven, or to the uh, respondent, if the annulment was proven, if it's an affirmative, so he or she can apply to the tribunal. And if there's no contention within two weeks, we don't hear from either party, then they can see their parish priest and the parish priest would prepare them for marriage preparation and whatnot. And depending on the parish priest and the availability of dates as well. Nice. Okay. All right. But don't rush into marriage, please, for those who have applied. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, this has been a very, very interesting topic indeed. Uh, Father Clarence, any more questions that you have on top of your head right now? No, I, I'm just digesting so much, it yeah, right now. Yeah. Not. I, I know there are lots of questions out there with regard to marriage. Uh, it's not possible yeah. for us to address every single one of them. Um, but what I'm saying is that, you know, seek answers. I mean, uh, look out for your parish priests, uh, get answers from them. There are so many things about, you know, Catholics who are not married in church, what needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes there are difficult situations because they have a previous marriage. You know, as I al I've always said, there is a healing remedy in the church. You know, uh, the code of canon law, uh, is, at, at least, I mean, uh, the way I've studied it, uh, it's not there to punish people. But yes. is there to find a solution <laughs> for people, to help people? For every prohibition, there is a solution uh, in the church. There's always a healing remedy in the church. And I think that's what we need to remember. Uh, secondly, I think you know that the purpose of this conversation is not to tell people there's a shortcut, there's a way out. You know, But I think the purpose of this conversation is to tell people to take marriage seriously. You know, and I think that's more important. You know, sometimes when we in the parish, we see couples, you know, uh, come for marriage, you know, uh, they just want to quickly get through the marriage preparation course. Okay, Father, just tell us which is the shortest course that we can go to uh, and then get this done and over with, you know. Uh, that's not the purpose. I think, you know, as Father William was mentioning, you know, the, the validity, the sacredness of the marriage is very important. So the marriage preparation course is something that every couple who is intending to get married must take seriously because this is where you you are you are making a life decision a life changing decision and you must know what you're getting into so don't take that marriage course as something so light uh, and say i just need the certificate to get married and sadly from my experience i'm sure for the william a lot of them go a lot of them come with that intention you know until we talk to them and tell them don't do this because you know you know, I mean, like we have had the six-week course, and then we have the the weekend course. Father, can you just can I just go for the weekend course and and get this <laughs> over done with? You know, over a weekend. Is that what marriage is all about? You know, uh, you know. So sometimes we also need to think if there are more people applying for annulment, maybe people are not taking it seriously. Uh, 
uh, in the preparation, uh, in, in being aware of what marriage is all about and getting into the church. It's not a quick fix, get in and get out as quickly as possible uh, when it doesn't work because like Father said, marriage is something sacred and it needs to be protected. Also, the institution of marriage has to be protected uh, and the annulment is one of the processes for those who have really not been able to make things happen or marriage has been not, you know, not valid. So I think that's important. And the last point I want to say is, you know, and, and, and I'm no expert, like Meg, maybe you can you can jump in, you know, Father William and I, we both live alone, so <laughs> we are not experts of marriage. But, you know, you know, marriage is, uh, I mean, the, the marriage ceremony is one day, but the marriage yeah. commitment is a lifetime. Uh, and it has yeah. to be worked on every day, isn't it? I mean, it is something that you work for the rest of your life. You make I can always tell the couples you can make all the preparations for the dinner, for the dress, for the for the jacket, everything you can make, but you know, that comes to an end at a certain point. On the day of the yeah. wedding, it comes to an end. But that's when marriage begins after that. That if you don't take it seriously, if you don't uh I, I don't want to preach a whole uh, preach a, a sermon here. <laughs> but you know, but I, I don't want people to get the idea that you know this topic is to help them get out. But rather, yeah. this topic is to help them commit even more for the marriage. You know, to make it work. Uh, and every day, you have to you have to make it make it work. You know, I think there's a saying something like marriages are made in heaven but lived on earth or something like that, isn't it? I mean, uh, you have to make it work here. And and sometimes because of of life that overtakes each one, gets overwhelmed, we we take each other for granted. And at least that's what I see. You know. That you need to appreciate one another, you know. That's the reality, you know. Don't just, you know, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I've said it, but it's something that you make it work. You make it work. It, there's no, yeah. there's no solution. I mean, I, I look at my parents. Uh, they, 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 they hardly met. You know, they just got married, and then, and then they made marriage work. Wow. You know. You know. So. <laughs> I mean that look on Mac. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm always amazed at couples who are you know in arranged marriages and they get into it and they make it work for a lifetime. I mean, marriage is not easy. We all always think about the wedding day, like Father Clarence said. You know, the wedding day is supposed to be grand and blah blah blah, but we forget that this journey is a journey of a lifetime with that yeah. person. You're you're committing to be with for the rest of your life. And sometimes things may not go your way and things may not go as planned. So, you know, it gets really difficult. And I mean, I have only been married for, you know, 14 years. And, you know, I know people who have been married for many, many, many more years. And I can say that it's not easy. And every day you just take it one step at a time because you don't know what challenges will come. Uh, further on in life you know you just gotta fight for it i guess but you know if you can't and you've come to a juncture where you have to pull a plug on it then that's why we have to stop it this morning divorce or annulment but of course like father clarence said and father william said this is like your last resort you work towards making it happen I mean, go to the church, get get the answers. Don't don't yeah. Google it. Don't ask somebody in the VEC or some uncle or auntie who will probably say, you know, common thing people say is, and I think there's a question also, oh, you're divorced civilly, you cannot receive communion anymore. People yeah. people get, you know, slighted, put off. And that's not the rule of the church, you know, uh, even though you're civilly divorced, but, uh, but you are not in another relationship or you're not married a second time, you still can go to communion. And even in such difficult situations, there are ex exceptions that 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 the priests can make. You know, 
It's known as yeah. the internal forum, but it's another topic for another day. There's always a remedy. I think that's that's the point I want to make. Do not think that the church is out there to punish anyone whose marriage did not work. Uh, that there is a remedy and that you just yeah. need to get the information from the right place and from the right person. Right, people, exactly. But I think it was a lot more stricter back then and people were all saying different things and you hear, oh, you can't go to church, you can't receive communion, you're not accepted in church. And I think all those now... Everything's been cleared up. So I think with Father Clarence and Father William sharing this with us, we have a clearer picture of things, you know, when it comes to divorce and annulment as well. So Father William, we've come to the end of the show already. Anything you'd like to add this morning? Yes, I'd just like to say two things here. For those who are divorced, I just want to tell you, the church still loves you. Uh, the church still loves you. So if you think that, you cannot participate like what Father said in the Mass or you cannot participate in any of the church activities. That is not true. That is not true. And please, uh, please continue to serve the church in any capacity that is possible for you. And just remember, the church is always very concerned for you. So if you need help, the tribunal is there. If you need help, I said, if you need help, we are always there to hear you out. And secondly, for those of you who are struggling in your marriage, yeah, or, or you know, who are going through a rough patch, just hang in there. Just hang in there. Remember, you know, marriage is a beautiful sacrament. Huh? Like what Father said, it's a sacred sacrament. It is so sacred. So let us value huh, the sacredness of this beautiful relationship that God has decided to bring you together. So remember. I'm not happy every time when an application form comes to me, just to tell you, for all <laughs> listeners out there, I'm telling you, especially Fair those enough. marriages, I'm sure Father would also agree, especially those marriages we celebrated or yeah. we officiated. It's very sad, you know, it's very, very sad. I blessed your marriage and now you're applying for a separation, you know. So we pray for you and we pray with you. Just hang in there. Remember, the Lord is always guiding you and giving you all that He takes to be faithful to each other. And finally, for those who are preparing to get married, I wish you all the very best. I wish you well. I wish you well. You know, as I always say, like what Father have also said earlier, in a different way, just to tell you this, your wedding is just for a day. Yeah. Your wedding is just for a day. All those beautiful things, that pomp, that grandeur is just for a day. But whatever that happens the very next day, it's where reality would sink in. So remember to value your marriage and also your wedding because everything flows from the wedding to the marriage. And please, 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 for the love of God, for the love of the church, prepare yourself well. Prepare yourself well for your big day. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Father William Michael, for, you know, helping shine a light on the topic divorce or annulment. What is the difference? Father Clarence, um, our session has, you know, prolonged to one and a half hours. This is like the first time I'm doing an hour and a half session, uh, you know, other than the Christmas show. So I think it's good. It's a good time to wrap up today's session. I want to say thank you so much to all our viewers for all your questions. Thank you for participating. And you can continue to like and share the broadcast so that, you know, the word can spread around. 
and we can, you know, share this information with everyone else as well. Father Clarence, shall we wrap up the show with a prayer? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our loving Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to have this conversation, a very difficult conversation, challenging conversation, but a conversation much needed to help us understand the sacredness of marriage, the validity of marriage. We pray especially for all married couples that your love may shine through them because they, that sacrament is the visible sign of your love in the world. We pray for those who are going through difficult times too, that you be with them to give them guidance, to show them the light, the pathway. We pray those who have gone through broken marriages in a difficult way, who are still hurting, we pray that your healing hands may be upon them, that the church may be an instrument to bring healing into their lives. And we place those who are preparing for marriage too, that they may look at marriage as a wonderful sacrament of great love that comes from you and you alone. We pray for ourselves. We pray for Father William and the work that he does for all those in the tribunal. We pray for all our listeners here this morning. Wherever we are, we ask you to bless us. And during this time, also to keep us all safe. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 So there you go, episode 55 of Catholics at Home podcast. It has been a truly uh, inspiring topic. Thank you so much, Father William, once again, Father Clarence. You will be back next week for another episode of Catholics at Home. What do we have in store next week, Father? Surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) That's always the thing. So make sure you hit on notify or follow so that you get notifications whenever we go live. And, you know, whatever we post, you you will be notified. Okay. Thank you so much once again for joining us this beautiful Saturday. Going to wish you a fantastic weekend ahead. Take care, stay safe, and God bless. Bye-bye. God bless. Bye, everyone. Thank you.